All right, well, am I on? Yep. Good morning, everyone. Great to see you. And those of you who came in after Sunday school, nice to get to see your faces and spend a little time in the Word here together with you today. I was thinking a few minutes ago about, wow, 20 years. It's been more than 20 years since Morningside started supporting our family in our work. More than 20 years. How in the world is that possible? And I don't, I don't take many chances or get many chances to just say thank you. Thank you for being faithful to us for a really long time. Really thankful. Uh, sometimes I think the, the Bible is so sweet and so powerful. What Dale read a while ago, I thought, wouldn't it be great if I just stood up here and said that in all things he might have the preeminence and then just walked off the stage? <laughs> what else is there to say? Oh, man. Well... Thank you. It's good to be here, and I hope we can, we can put into practice that verse here for the next little bit. So turn to Psalm 46, if you would. That's where we're going to be. Psalm 46, that's right. And uh, as you're turning there, a lot of you know me well enough to know that I really like to be talked to as well as to talk. I like to ask you a question and have you respond, even in a sermon. So I'm going to do that again today. And we're going to get started here in just a second with a little Bible memory drill. And the way we're going to do this is I'm going to say the first part of a verse, and I'm going to point at myself when I do that, and then I'm going to ask you to finish it all together in unison out loud, the second half of the verse, and I'll point my finger out toward you when I'm ready for you to do that, okay? So we're going to flex our Bible memory muscle here a little bit and see how this goes. You ready? Okay, here we go. Don't be shy. Shout it out. All right, Genesis 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created... I would have expected nothing less. Amazing. Okay, great. All right, good job. Romans 3, verse 23 goes like this. For all have sinned and... Great. Okay, two for two. John 3.16, but I'm making it harder now. You're going to have to say more of the verse. And this will be fun because you got all kinds of versions. So it'll be like... <laughs> we'll try it anyway. Ready? For God so loved the world that he gave... <laughs> yes, it worked. That was great. You guys did a great job saying it in about four different versions there. That was, that was super. Okay. All right, one more. Last one. Ready? Psalm 46, verse 10. Don't look down. Don't look down. Don't look down. Be still and know that... Huh. Okay. Great. We'll come back to Psalm 46.10 in just a minute. You might want to look down now to see what it says in Psalm 46.10. <laughs> oh, whoops. <laughs> All right, okay. Let's read it. Let's read Psalm 46 together, and, uh, and we'll, I'll come back and tell you why I played that trick on you in just a little while. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. 
There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in her midst. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Or as I'm going to try to refer to throughout this, when you see, you all know this, when you see the capital L-O-R-D, it's Yahweh. Yahweh of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow, shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Yahweh of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Amen. So you see my trick in Psalm 4610 now. And we'll come back to that in a little bit to talk more about Psalm 46, verse 10. But first, I thought it might be helpful to start out with, when you're in the psalm, sometimes it's nice to know, what kind of psalm am I reading? How does it fit into the whole? Psalm 46 is one of what we call a, a, it's one kind of a kind of enthronement psalm. Enthronement psalm. One of a handful of psalms in the Psalter that celebrate Zion as God's special place with God's chosen people. It's in two stanzas. You probably caught that as we read through. Uh, the first part ends in verse 6, and then there's a chorus, verse 7. And then the second part begins in verse 8 and has another chorus there in verse 11. So if you look down, you'll see that it's a, it's a song, right? The Psalms are songs. And so this song has two stanzas and a chorus in verses 7 and 11. And I see, Morningside, I see two key realities about God in these verses Two things that act like a bookmark in Psalm 46 at the beginning and the end. And so that's what forms the outline of my sermon. So let me tell you what those two things are and then we'll, we'll dig in. First, there's the assurance of God's presence and help in the midst of turmoil and chaos. It's a promise. The assurance of God's presence and help in the midst of chaos and turmoil. And then secondly, there's a command which functions kind of like an invitation actually, but it's a command the command to stillness and waiting on God for the fulfillment of his promises. So let's spend a few minutes looking at each of those before we try to apply Psalm 46. First, the promise, the assurance of God's presence and help in the midst of chaos and turmoil. Psalm 46 begins with God, doesn't it? First word, I bet it's in every word in your translations, the first word is God. Begins with God, describing him as our refuge and our strength, a helper in times of trouble. So right out of the gate, right out of the starting gate, we see that this song was written for those who are in the midst of conflict, difficulty, turmoil, stress, problem. It's written for people who are in trouble. So before we get to focusing on how it is that God, what it is that God provides, the help he provides, consider with me what kind of trouble is described here in Psalm 46. Let's look at verses... Uh, Verses 2 and 3. At first, what the psalmist is describing is what we would call natural disasters. You see it there? Verse 2, the earth gives way, the mountains falling into the heart of the sea, the waters roaring and foaming, the mountains trembling. In our day, we'd call these things like earthquakes, landslides, floods, 
Uh, if you live in northwest Iowa, you might refer instead to tornadoes. Natural disasters is what we call these. And, uh, and there's any number of kinds of them. And I think verses 2 and 3 are trying to capture the whole of that by describing all kinds of earth-rattling, water-roaring kinds of situations that the people of God are facing. I've got a friend in uh, St. Louis. I live near St. Louis. And I've got a friend uh, who lives there. He works with Muslims in St. Louis. And uh, he recently, Matt is his name. And Matt recently, in February, he took a trip from St. Louis with a, with a few of his Turkish and Syrian friends over to Turkey to visit the extended families of those friends in St. Louis. And so guess where he was on February the 6th, I think it was? He was in the earthquake zone when that massive earthquake rocked uh, southeastern Turkey and northwestern Syria in early February. And Matt described for me the thoughts and the feelings that he had when it looked like he and his family were going to get crushed in the apartment that they were in when this massive earthquake hit at 4 o'clock in the morning. They, well, they, they didn't get crushed in that building. They ended up rushing outside where they spent the next couple of days sleeping outside because nobody wanted to go back in those buildings that were teetering like that, you know, that, that, the ones that remained standing. And I don't know, maybe some of you have had earth-trembling, water-roaring kind of experiences like that where you've, you've been in natural disasters or calamities of some sort that, that just absolutely rock your, rock your world. It's in calamities like this that cause so much death and destruction, I think it was 58,000 people dead in Turkey and Syria, that the psalmist says in verse 1, God is the one. God is the one in whom we hide. It's in him, verse 1 says, that we take our refuge. Notice it doesn't say that God provides refuge and strength, but God is our refuge and strength. That's an important difference, I think. Proverbs 18, verse 10, a lot of you know it well, says, The name of the Lord, Yahweh, is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and are safe. The righteous run to the name of Yahweh and are safe. The righteous don't get a, a safety from Yahweh. They run to Yahweh, to the Lord. And it's in his name that they find safety. So here in verse 1, God is pictured not only as, as our refuge and strength, but he's also pictured as really near and attentive. You see that? In the second half of verse 1, he's a very present help in trouble. Not just a present help, but a very present help in trouble. So he's our helper, and he's our safety, and he's our our uh, fortress. So natural disasters, calamities, and we run to the Lord and find safety. But then in verse 4, the scene shifts from all that chaos and turmoil, out, turmoil outside to the inner sanctum of Zion. Look at verse 4, the city of God. You, you feel in verses 2 and 3, the waters roaring, the mountains trembling, and then in verse 4, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. We move from the outside to the inside to this place of tranquility, place of safety in Zion. Streams are flowing into a river, making the city glad. Why is that? Because it's providing for life and flourishing, right? That's what, that's what water does. It enables life. It's the holy habitation. It's the dwelling place of God, the Most High, set apart from all that chaos outside around it. Lest we think that the river is the key, though, verse 5 says that God is in her midst. That's the key thing. Look at verse 5. There's a river that, that, 
uh, whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in her midst, and therefore she shall not be moved. Zion will never be moved as long as Zion has God in her midst, even with all those calamities going on uh, outside and around. Then, again, a shift. In verse 6, you see it again. This is an interesting psalm. It, it shifts scenes back and forth, back and forth. And in verse 6, the scene shifts back to the chaos of the world outside and around Zion. So we started outside Zion, finding refuge in God. We went into the peaceful sanctum of Zion, and now we're going back out into the raging world. But this time, the chaos isn't caused by nature, but instead by the evil schemes of rulers who've set themselves against the Lord and against his anointed. Look at verse 6. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. Feels like the news headlines to me. I don't know <laughs> about you. And what is the solution in the midst of all that kind of turmoil? Second half of verse 6. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. Makes me think of the, the verse, Jesus' preeminence that Dale read about a moment ago. He's preeminent over it all. Actually, what, what this verse, verse 6, reminded me of was Psalm chapter 2. And uh, maybe some of you are thinking of it as well. Psalm 2, where we actually get the, the vocal description of the, the voice that gets uttered here in verse 6. You see in verse 6, he utters his voice, the earth melts. Well, what's he saying? I think he's saying Psalm 2. So let me read Psalm 2 to you. Psalm 2 goes like this. Why do the nations rage? There's that same phrase exactly. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against Yahweh and against his anointed, saying... Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. That's what the nations are saying. What's, what's God saying? He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, as for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. That's what God says when he causes the earth to melt. I've set my king on Zion Nobody will take him off of his throne. He utters his voice, and the earth melts. And then in verse 7, we get our first chorus. We just sing it a few minutes ago, right? Singing some choruses. Verse 7 is the chorus in this song, repeated in verse 11. And it's a reminder that God's, to God's people that he is a fighter for them. He's Yahweh of hosts, Yahweh of the army. That he is present with them and that he himself is their defense. Verse 7, Yahweh of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. That first stanza ends with God as the refuge, as the strength, as the helper in all kinds of trouble, whether they're natural disasters or whether they're man-made ones. God is our refuge, strength, and help. And then in verses 8 and 9, we pick back up where we were in verse 6. So keep looking down, and you see where verse 6 ends. There's raging, kingdoms are tottering. The Lord steps in and utters his voice. The earth melts, and then verses 8 and 9. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow, he shatters the spear, he burns the chariots with fire. 
God is working in the world to silence his enemies and to display his reign over all the earth. His works in these verses are, they're many, I think we're supposed to understand them, and varied. They're varied. So God, in verse 8, he brings desolations on the earth. And then in verse 9, he makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. So he's, he's bringing desolation and he's halting desolation caused by, by people. He's doing all kinds of things and he's doing them, it says in verses 8 and 9, so that we'll behold his works, so that we'll see his glory and understand his majesty. And in the midst of all of that work that God is doing and all that chaos out there, wars being put to an end, desolations being brought to the earth, chariots being burned with fire, in the midst of all that, we come to verse 10 that you quoted here a few minutes ago. And verse 10 is interesting because you might think after verses 8 and 9 that the Lord is going to say in verse 10, go to battle in the name of Yahweh. Go fight on my behalf. But he doesn't say that. He says, I'm fighting, you be still. You be still and know that I am God. And that brings us to the second main thing I see in these verses and the, and the back end of the bookend of Psalm 46, which is the command or the invitation to stillness, to waiting on God for the fulfillment of his purposes. In all the chaos and all the opposition that the people of God face, even in his place in Zion, the psalmist says, quiet yourself and remember Quiet yourself and remember. Remember him who is your refuge and your strength. Your helper is the one who described himself to Moses, you all know, at the burning bush as who? I am who I am. Remember him, Zion. Remember him. Be still and know that I am, he says. Be still and know that I'm the God whose existence doesn't depend on anybody. Be still and know that I am the God who's not served by human hands as though I need anything. Be still and know that I speak and the earth melts. This is the God who is commanding and inviting the people of Zion to cease their striving even in the midst of all that turmoil. But the Lord goes on. Yahweh goes on in verse 10, doesn't he? There's more that he wants his people to know than that they should be still. And there's even more that he wants them to know than that they should be still and know that he is God. He wants them to know something else, which is where we left off there at the beginning of our sermon. He wants them to know more. He wants them to know that he will be exalted out there in that chaotic world outside of Zion. I will be exalted, he says in verse 10, among the nations. Those are the nations that are raging out there, outside of Zion, raging, fighting against the Lord and against his anointed. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. He leaves no doubt as to what he is doing in the world and what the final outcome will be of all of that chaos out there. Which reminded me of Psalm 110, where David sang, the Lord says to my Lord, Yahweh says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Yahweh sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter. Rule, Jesus, we should be understanding. Rule, Father says to Jesus in the midst of them. They can flail, they can rage, they can fight, but Jesus is ruling in their midst nonetheless. And you see this when you come to the New Testament, don't you, brothers and sisters? Hebrews 10 
says that when Christ had offered for one time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. And then in 1 Corinthians 15, 25, it says that Jesus must reign, reigning now. Jesus must reign until God has put all his enemies under his feet, publicly triumphing over them to his son's glory. That's what's going on in the world right now. The nations are raging. The kingdoms are tottering. Jesus is on his throne. And one by one by one, the father is putting his enemies under his feet. And so Psalm 46 returns in verse 11 to the chorus. Because that's something we're singing about. <laughs> when God says, be still and know that I'm God, I'll be exalted in the among the nations. I'll be exalted in the earth. Boy, that calls for a chorus. And so the chorus comes right back. Yahweh of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Amen. So there's Psalm 46 in a few minutes. And now what I want to try to do is make some application to Psalm 46 for us. Because that's one of the key things when you read, read and, and study, teach the Bible, is, okay, that's great, so what? How does that, how's that look in our lives? How do we put that into practice in our world? So I've got four things that I found in this psalm that I thought were applicable for all of us. So I'm going to go, by those, go through those one by one in the hope that they will uh, sink in our hearts in such a way that we can take something away for the week and worship and serve our great God. Okay? So... Let's step back and apply. Where, where are the continuities between Psalm 46 and our lives today? Where are the discontinuities? Where does it, where does it not come together in the same way? And, and what can we learn from it? Application point number one is this. Chaos and turmoil there in Psalm 46. Chaos and, term, and, and turmoil in 2023 in Sioux City, Iowa. Here's a point of continuity that the, that the chaos and the turmoil remain. If Zion, Jerusalem, ancient Jerusalem, was threatened by both nature and evil back in the day, well, then it's no less true in our lives that we are also threatened by these things today. In fact, you could argue that there's been an uptick in both natural disasters and man-made hardship in this period between Jesus' first appearance and his second one. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars, Jesus said. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. That's verse 6, friends. The nations are raging. The kingdoms are tottering. That'll happen. And there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. That's verse 3, verses 2 and 3. All these things are but the beginning of the birth pains. Matthew 24, 6 through 8. I don't know about you all, but... I'm finding that in what we used to call the 24-hour news cycle, remember that from a few years back? Uh, we went from nightly news when I was a boy, half an hour, to 24-hour news when I was a young man. And then 24-hour news had to have a new something every day to keep people coming back. So there was some, some, some dicey, difficult, terrible headline every day. And then we went from that to the internet and the age of smartphones. And I don't know if it's like this for you, but I find myself just overwhelmed at the sheer volume of bad news in the world. You feel that at all? If you, if you choose to not turn, tune it out, which I have some sympathy for those of you who do, <laughs> if you choose not to tune it out, but you say, I want to engage with the Father for his glory and all that mess out there, well, then you get things like uh, 
Taliban take over Afghanistan, and then fires and floods in California, and then uh, shooting in Nashville, Tennessee, and then war in Sudan, and it just never ends. It just never, ever ends. There's always some other bad news coming. And it's exhausting, and that's never mind all the stuff going on in your lives, <laughs> your personal stuff, your, your families, this church. Just the stuff out there is overwhelming. Never mind all the local stuff and personal stuff. Here's the point. A point of continuity, painful continuity, between the people of God in Zion, Jerusalem, and us. The turmoil and chaos and difficulty and hardship are the same, if not worse. And, and we're going to just continue to be in that in this age while we're waiting for the king to put those final enemies under his feet. Is the earth giving way? Yeah, it is. Are the waters roaring? Yes, they are. Are the kingdoms raging? Nations raging? You bet they are. Which is why I think application point number two is such good news. So enough of that. <laughs> Turmoil, chaos remain. But that's not all. God remains our refuge and our strength, a very present help in trouble, just as true and more wonderful then point number one, God is our refuge and strength. What good news for our souls that our unchanging Savior, Jesus, is still the one to whom we can go and find safety amidst all the chaos and confusion. He has proven over and over again in your lives and in, in mine that he will come to the aid of those who call upon him. And now, now, here's what's so wonderful. Now we know, unlike the folks in Zion, now we know He's coming to our aid because we're in Christ. It's in Jesus of Nazareth. It's in his son, his beloved son who's come that we're safe. So we don't just have to look forward to someday one will come. No, we look back and we say he came. Jesus came. And he came to provide our refuge in God. Jerusalem, like a lot of other cities in the ancient world, had the, the, the streams running into the river in Zion. But you know, a lot of other cities in the ancient world had streams running into a river because they had people living in them, so they needed water. And a lot of other ancient cities had walls around them, like Jerusalem did. But you know what those other cities didn't have? They didn't have Yahweh. They didn't have Yahweh. They didn't have the Lord. They didn't have the God who inhabited uh, the, the place Zion in the temple. And now, now, as we come over to the age in which we live, we're not looking to a city. Jerusalem is not your Zion, brothers and sisters. We're not looking to a temple in a city either. We're not going to see the old temple mounds and think, wow, what an amazing thing that God was here. Nope, no thanks. I'm not interested in that trip at all myself. I would much rather turn my eyes to Christ, who is the temple. Turn my eyes to him, who is the place where God dwells the holy habitation of the Most High, the person of the Lord Jesus, and fix my eye on him. Let's fix our eyes on him who is the fullness of God's glory, the radiance of his glory, the exact imprint of his being, the fullness of God with us in Jesus. So it's in Christ that we find our refuge. And we find that refuge not just from the, the soul-ravaging effects of, of tornadoes and hurricanes and floods and nations raging and kingdoms tottering, but we find our refuge in Jesus from the wrath of God that we deserve because of our sin. Huh. 
peace, Jesus said, I leave with you. My peace I give to you. So I just say again, Morningside Baptist, receive the peace of Jesus, purchased by him in his death and resurrection, now experienced in the fellowship of the Holy Spirit as we live life together in the body. Receive and enjoy the peace that comes as the Holy Spirit, who the Bible says is our helper, right? The Lord is a very present help in, tr uh, help in trouble in times of need. How is it that he's our helper? He's our helper through the Spirit who dwells among us and causes Jesus to reign over and in us. So, enjoy, in Christ Jesus, enjoy the refuge and the strength and the very present help of Emmanuel, God with us. Point three. God is still in the business of exalting his name among the nations. So here, Pastor Dave, finally I'm getting to missions. <laughs> here we're getting to missions. Psalm 46 actually doesn't make it explicit in verse 10. It doesn't say what kind of exalting God's going to do. It doesn't make it really clear that he's going to make his name great through the proclamation of the gospel. That's not clear in Psalm 46. But we have the whole Bible, and even we have a bunch of psalms that talk about this. Uh, psalm 67, Psalm 86 are a couple that come to my mind, where it's clear that God is tying his purpose to exalt himself to the proclamation of the message of his glory. And so we have a, we have a, a whole Bible full of pointers to how it is that God is going to exalt his name among the nations. The beating heart of God is to be magnified among all peoples. What's God care about? God cares about his glory. Where does God care about his glory? He cares about his glory among all peoples and all the earth. That's what Psalm 4610 wants you to get. Jesus had his chance to go the political route to get that glory. There was a shot, there was a time when Jesus rose from the dead and could have turned this thing into a political triumph. Well, you go back even before he, he rose from the dead to his mock trial, because it was a mockery, his mock trial before Pilate. Mark, I'm going to read this to you quickly. Mark, you don't need to turn there. Mark 15, verses 3 through 5. You read that quickly. Jesus before Pilate had his chance. And so Pilate, he's been brought before the Pilate. Uh, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus says, you've said so. And the chief priest accused him of many things. And Pilate again asked him, have you no answer to make? See how many charges they bring against you? But Jesus made no further answer so that Pilate was amazed. Jesus had his chance right there. If he was going to rise up and bring his political kingdom into being in that moment, he could have done it. He chose not to. And then if you come over to Acts chapter 1, what did his disciples say? He's raised from the dead now. Is this the time, Jesus, that you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? What do they mean? <clears throat> okay, this is it. Time to kick those Romans out of here and rise up in rebellion. Are you going to do it now, Jesus? Is this the time? That was his chance, wasn't it? He had the perfect opportunity to say, take up arms, boys, let's go. And he says instead, that's for later. That's coming. That's for later. That's not, for you. That's not your business. Here's your business. You'll receive power to be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. And so he chose a different path, Jesus did, for himself and for us. And for us, he chose a different path. And the path Jesus chose is not triumph through raw political power. It's triumph, but it's triumph through suffering, sacrificial love. 
That's your calling, brothers and sisters, to join him in his aim to get the gospel to the ends of the earth. It's suffering, sacrificial love. It's through suffering to glory. And that's how Jesus went. And he said, come, follow me. This message of his life and death and resurrection, as it's proclaimed and displayed through his people, like Luke and Rachel someday, across the earth, the Father is gaining glory. He's exalting his own name as people hear and repent and receive this good news. Nothing will stop the Lord in this global conquest that he is executing. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. And then we can add dot, dot, dot through the proclamation of the death, resurrection, and exaltation of Jesus. So application point number three is that God is still doing it. He's still exalting his name among the nations, and he's doing it in the gospel. So fourth and final point, what are we supposed to do about that? Psalm 46, verse 10 doesn't say, get busy, I will be exalted among the nations. What are we supposed to do? What's, what's our uh, marching orders from the Lord God in Psalm 46? And I don't know, I might surprise some of you when I say that I think our marching orders are Psalm 46, verse 10. I think that we're supposed to take Psalm 46, verse 10, and apply it pretty straightforwardly as we go for God's global pursuit of his glory. We're to be still, I think, to remember that he is God. Well, we're to start that way at least. That's not the whole story, but that's the start here in Psalm 46, and I think a really important start. God is first to be beheld. He's to be seen. He's to be treasured, and then he's to be served in mission. That's what Pastor Dave read earlier from that Piper book. He's the sovereign Lord. After all, he's, he's not depending on any of us to accomplish his purposes He's getting it done on his own, in his power, without needing us at all. And you see this in Psalm 64, verse 4. Don't turn there. I'll read it to you. Psalm 64, verse 4 says this. Who has ever heard of a God like you who works for those who wait for him? Because all the religious systems in the world have that flip. You know what all the religious systems in the world say? They say, get busy working. God's waiting for you. Come on. What are you doing? Clean your act up. Get right. Work harder. Be more religious. Attend church more. Give more money. On and on and on. Work harder. God's waiting. God says, I'm not like all those gods. I work for those who wait for me. He does the working while we do the waiting. And you actually see this even in the pattern that Jesus set out in Acts chapter 1 and, and, and chapter 2. So the disciples say, okay, is this the time? Are you, are you going to establish the kingdom now? They didn't understand what Jesus was about yet. And so the, he answered the question by saying, no, 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 no. First of all, you're supposed to be my witnesses. And then he said, wait. Wait for the promise from heaven to come. Now, I think that was, it would have been really natural for Jesus at that point to say, no, 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 no. We're not doing a political thing. You're to be my witnesses. Get busy, boys. Let's go. Get out there. But he didn't. He said, wait. Wait for the power of the Spirit to come. And, of course, that's a one-time historical event, the giving of the Spirit at Pentecost. But I wonder if there's a principle there that we can apply. I wonder if there's something for us to learn 
I wonder if waiting for the work of God and then following, following him out is what the Lord would say to Morningside Baptist right now. How will Morningside Baptist know what are the good works that the Lord has prepared in advance for you to walk in? Ephesians 2, verse 10. Well, how are you going to know what those good works are? I wonder if Psalm 46 is some help. You're a missions-committed church. You've been doing it for a long time. Thank you. Praise God. It's wonderful. But maybe, maybe it's a new season. Maybe it's a season of stopping to evaluate and ask ourselves some new questions. Where, where are we going from here in our efforts to push forward for the glory of God among the peoples of the earth? Maybe the Lord says, be still. Wait for me. I'll be exalted. I know how to do that, God says. You be still and wait for me and listen for my voice. I, I, I thought also of 1 Kings 19. I'll read that to you quickly. 1 Kings 19. This is Elijah after he's fled Jezebel. And it's such an interesting description of how such a glorious, powerful, earth-shattering God works and speaks. Then Elijah came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of Yahweh came to him. And he said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for Yahweh, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. So that, that continues. And then in verse... Uh, oh, I'm sorry, I'll, I'll keep going. And he said... This is the Lord speaking. Go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by. And a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in the cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? <laughs> God got his attention, the wind, the earthquake, and the fire. But it was in the low whisper, in the still small voice of the Lord that Elijah heard from the, from the Father. And I don't know, church, I just wonder if Psalm 46 doesn't have something to say to Morningside Baptist right now. Be still. Know that he's God. Wait patiently for his voice. And then when you get your marching orders, move out from there in obedience to him. Begin by waiting. One final parallel that connects to verse 11. One final parallel between Psalm 46 and the commission, the great commission, we call it, that Jesus gave his disciples in Matthew 28 that we celebrate. Uh, you know, we celebrate Matthew 28 a lot. Go and make disciples of all nations. It's one of the key passages in global missions. You see how verses 7 and 11, we're told Yahweh of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. That reminded me a lot of Jesus' promise at the end of Psalm 28, uh, sorry, Matthew 28. So he gave the commission to the disciples, and then he said, and behold, I am with you always to the ends of the age. 
That sounds a lot to me like Yahweh of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress in verse 11. So, I say to you, brothers and sisters at Morningside, as you are still before the Lord, as you wait for him, as you, uh, as you trust that he, as Lord, will do his work, anticipating his next move to thrust you out into the fields that are white for harvest, I commend you to remember his promise to go with you to the end of the age. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Lo, I am with you always to the ends of the earth. Father, we thank you so much that these promises, these realities that were true for Jerusalem, for Zion, 2,600 years ago, 3,000 years ago, are true for us in Christ Jesus. Thank you, Father, that you are still a refuge, a strength, a helper to your people in the difficulties that we face in our own lives and in the world of evil people doing evil things and in a world where earth, the earth sometimes trembles and the waters sometimes rise and the winds sometimes tear through towns. You are our refuge, our strength, and our helper. Thank you too, Lord, that as you speak to us, you speak a word, not first and foremost of activism, of get out there and get after it, but you speak a first, you speak a word to us of stopping, of stillness, of silence, of waiting, of remembering that you are God and you will get the glory that you have determined to get among all peoples of the earth. And then in your kindness, you grab us by the hand and you say, come, follow me. We're going out to the people's with the message of the cross. Oh, Lord, thank you for the cross. Thank you that this good news has come to us. And thank you that you are equipping this church to take that good news to the ends of the earth as they wait for your still small voice to give them the guidance they need in this next season to know what that looks like. And I thank you, Father in heaven, that as they go, the Lord Jesus goes with them. And I pray in his name. Amen.